Are you looking for your next podcast binge to lose yourself in? Let me introduce you to a story that begins with sweet romance but quickly turns into betrayal and the far-reaching consequences of one man's deceit. It's an account told by the women whose lives were forever changed by it. You probably think the stories about you is a podcast hosted by Brittany Art. And it's not just another podcast. It's an exploration of self-discovery, growth, resilience, and healing. And it's all told in a unique format. And this is why I'm so excited about this one. This is Brittany's story, but she doesn't just host it like a podcast in the traditional sense. Through immersive soundscapes and the voices of the women affected by these events, this podcast creates such a unique experience experience that's going to make your headphones glow in the dark. I can't wait to get started and I hope you'll join me. Listen and follow. You'll probably think the stories about you wherever you listen to podcasts. With regard to changing the narrative of, of self-care and mental health, there's this idea that it's not selfish to, um, to take care of yourself and to be um, in tune with what you need. You're listening to Dr. Robin Gobin on Psychologist Off the Clock. We are three clinical psychologists committed to cutting-edge, integrative, and evidence-based strategies for living well. On this podcast, we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. We hope this podcast offers you ideas for how to live a full and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Diana here, and today we are talking all about taking good care of yourself. And one of the things that Debbie and I were thinking that the best way to take care of yourself is meet up with us at the upcoming Mindful Outdoor Retreats event that's happening on October 19th at Goodland Organics Coffee Farm. It is a day jam-packed with self-care. So everything from when you arrive, nourishing your body with some uh, fresh juice from local farms and some coffee that was grown right there at the farm to participating in some psychological flexibility workshops with Debbie and myself, some yoga and gentle movement, walking through the farm mindfully, and then ending the day with a really magical uh, sound healing. If you haven't done sound healing before, have you done it before, Debbie? I have not. I'm so intrigued. I can't wait to, to try it. Oh, it's amazing. It sort of gets you in that twilight space where you're totally, completely relaxed, but kind of floating a little bit. And all these sort of unusual sounds are happening around you and you want to open your eyes to find and figure out what he's doing, but keep your eyes closed and just take it all in. So we hope that you will join us on October 19th. And there is a special promo code for those of you that are listening to this self-care episode to get a discount. Debbie, you want to tell them about it? Yes, if you just enter the code self-care, all one word, no dashes, self-care, we will give you $25 off your registration. So let us know that you listen to this episode and save some money. Go ahead and sign up at drdianahill.com, D-R-D-I-A-N-A-H-I-L-L.com, and it's going to fill up folks. So sign up soon. So Debbie and I are recording here midday. 
12 o'clock my time, one o'clock your time. We've both seen some clients, tackled some kids, getting them out the door. How are you doing, Debbie, with your self-care? <laughs> it's tough on a Tuesday, a busy Tuesday. I'm, it's a mixed bag. I think I've, I woke up before my alarm stressing out. And instead of doing a walk or yoga stretches or mindfulness, I kind of just started getting stuff done. So that maybe there wasn't a lot of room for self-care. I just felt busy. Yeah. I did notice some things happening with my body at one point and I did stop and slow down. I went to the bathroom. You guys talk about this in the episode when I, <laughs> I might not have normally noticed I stopped and actually asked you if you could postpone this for 15 minutes so I could have time to take a lunch break, which actually I don't think I would have done. Yeah. It wouldn't have been for this. So I, I think just the thing I noticed was tuning into my body and recognizing when I needed a minute to just take a break. That's, that's about all I've done, to be honest though, Diana. Actually, you asking for those 15 minutes was the gift of self-care because when you said that, I was running right up to the hour which I shouldn't have been, but I was running right up to the hour with my super, supervising this uh, post talk, and, and it was 12 o'clock. I got that text and I was like, ah, oh, thank goodness she asked for 15 minutes because now I can make a cup of tea. So that's where it also helps other people out when we care for ourselves. It also passes the ball to them to care for themselves. And it's funny because I was worried that you might be like, oh no, I have to rush off, but it actually worked out fine. So it was a good thing I asked. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing on this busy Tuesday with your self-care, Diana? So Debbie, it's actually more ordinary for me to be struggling with self-care than not. And the tendency that I tend to get into in my workday is just the go mode without, without doing the pauses. I took a few minutes between one of my clients. I usually like to move between clients, but with this one, I went and like sat in my chair out in the sun and just took three breaths of sunshine. So I feel like that was a good, helpful self-care move and making that cup of tea was nice. So mm. little micro things, but they matter. They, they do matter. They were on the heels of this, of a big self-care move, which was seeing each other in Denver and seeing our group of psychologists. That's something that we do. I don't know, every few months we, we try and get together. And for me, that's like a big inoculation shot in the arm of self-care. There's something so important about social connection and meaningful relationships and carving out time to really spend with people that you care about that can be a really big self-care move. And we're not talking about just adding one more social event to your calendar. We're talking about carving out time to actually make it special with intention and to really connect. Mm -hmm. We have a, a leader of our pack who is so good at this. And we were giving her some of this feedback when we were meeting because she's always planning ahead of when we're going to meet up again, when we're at our meeting. And it's, it's actually, it's sort of like planning a date night with your partner. If you don't plan it, it won't, it won't happen. So I so appreciate her uh, for, for doing that and keeping it on our radar of this is something that's really important to us that we want to uh, keep going. And I think that's the same thing with self-care. Sometimes it does require a little bit of planning and intention around it. And what was funny about this particular meeting that we just had is that we made a dinner reservation for 4.45 p.m. We were in there, early bird special. We're like 80. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the reason we did that was because one person in our group has a baby and that just worked better for us. And so we set some clear self-care around that. We chose an environment that felt relaxing and nourishing, healthy food, quiet venue, 
early in the evening so that we could take care of ourselves in that way. I think that we've gotten over time as a group uh, more comfortable with expressing our needs Mm -hmm. to each other and really welcoming them and wanting to not only care for ourselves, but care for each other and caring for themselves. So that example with the baby is a perfect one, but all of us have sort of special needs when we meet up as, as a group. I mean, Debbie, you know about whenever we stay together, sometimes we'll go to like a, a place out of town and it'll be a hotel and I'll stay in a separate room because I have a special need around sleep that I really, really, really value my sleep. Whereas Debbie, you always like to be part of the group and you're in the chat it up until the middle of the night group. It's my FOMO, my fear of missing out. Yeah. I won't leave the group room. So why stay in a separate bedroom? Oh, I go into that separate bedroom and I enjoy it. My quiet. (laughs) Well, and that speaks to the individual difference when it comes to self-care. And I love that about this episode that sometimes it can feel like, oh, I should be doing more self-care. And we might have certain ideas of what that means, that, you know, it means you're supposed to be doing certain self-care activities. But one something that feels nurturing to one person may not for another person. Yeah. It's more about tuning in and listening and then being able to communicate that to others and hopefully safe others that can hear that. Something else that Robin Gobin talks about in this episode is as therapists practicing what we preach. And I don't know about you, Diana, but sometimes I do. And I find that my work as a therapist really helps me put things into practice, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes there are things that I work with my clients on and then I struggle with myself and I'm not always, uh, probably doing the things I'm talking to my clients about. And an example of this for me would be recently would be related to sleep habits. I work a lot with people on their sleep. I think it's really important to address. And there are times in my life when I do a pretty good job of my own sleep behaviors, but then there's also times when I'm pretty stressed out and they sort of, all the things I know about sleep habits sort of go out the window. And so how about you? How's your, how are you doing with self-care around practicing what you preach? As a therapist, a lot of the things that you're talking about with clients are, you know, wishes or ideals or, and, and I think actually it's more helpful to not be in that ideal realm, both with ourselves and with our, with our clients and, and being more um, flexible about the reality of what life really looks like. And I, I, sometimes I feel like there can be the setup in the therapy room where the client is thinking that you have it all together and that you're doing like that you, you know, wake up at five and you go to yoga and then you, you know, have your perfect breakfast and you do your perfect therapy and then you're a perfect parent. And, and then, and then at the end of the day, a therapist are saying, and I'm not practicing what I preach because I'm not all those things. And that's just not the real world. The reality is, is that sometimes we yell at our kids or sometimes we fall short with our health habits or sometimes, um, you know, we're just not super mindful and, and that's okay. Right. It's not all or nothing and we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to always be doing these things, but when we find that we've gone into some, you know, habits that aren't really sustaining to us or that aren't in line with our values is a good time to kind of remember, remember what's important yeah, and carve it out. So today we have on the show an expert in self-care that I'm really excited to share with you. And Debbie, you heard about her in Dublin, is that right, when you were at the ACBS conference? Yeah, someone just mentioned this book, The Self-Care Prescription, 
and I made a note of it and I thought, we talk about self-care on the podcast sometimes, but we haven't really explored what that means. And I think there's some misconceptions around self-care. Yeah. Sometimes to me, it starts to feel like a should or it's, it's supposed to look a certain way. And I think Robin in this interview shows us that it's it's a little deeper than that, actually, and it, it can be a bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Gobin, she's a licensed clinical psychologist and assistant professor at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and she's nationally recognized expert on not only self-care, but on interpersonal trauma, on women's mental health, and the cultural context of trauma recovery in the African-American community. She received her doctorate from the University of Oregon and then went to do her internship and postdoctoral training at the National Center for PTSD at Brown University uh, and the San Diego Department of Veteran Affairs. Her latest book, which is The Self-Care Prescription, Powerful Solutions to Manage Stress, Reduce Anxiety, and Enhance Well-Being, really aims to change the narrative around mental health and self-care in communities of color and teach people how to incorporate self-care into their busy lives in a sustainable way. So we hope that we give you some specific strategies in this interview. We talk a little bit about our own self-care practices and failures, and uh, really hope that you take this episode and to some good self-care for yourselves. That's our wish for you. So welcome, Dr. Gobin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I think the topic of self-care is probably a a pretty hot topic right now. And I was actually talking to Debbie a few days ago and she said, oh, that's what I really need. I'm so glad you're doing this interview. I need need more (laughs) self-care. We need more of it. But at the same time, we don't, we also kind of feel guilty that we're not doing it. So yeah. talk about how you define self-care because it's not just pedicures and, and bubble baths. Yeah, yeah. I really think about self-care is being able to ask yourself the question, what do I need most right now? More on a kind of soul or um, soul level. Like, what do I really need the most in my life right now? And then having the courage to to give yourself what you need in that moment. So self-care can include bubble baths and pedicures, uh, but I think in order for it to be something that is really nourishing and sustainable for you and actually recharges your battery, sometimes it needs to go a little bit deeper than um, bubble baths and and, and pedicures. So I think it's really about um, giving yourself the things that you need. And sometimes that's not comfortable. Um, So I think another uh, misconception that's out there about self-care is that it's all fun and, you know, and light, but sometimes self-care can look like um, reaching out for help if you're struggling, or it could look like, um, you know, going to a doctor's appointment that you've been putting off, but that you need to go to. So it's not always fun, but at the end of the day, it's what you need to keep you healthy and balanced in your life. It's sort of, it, it seems like it's what we do for our kids in, you know, in some ways instinctually yeah. of, of caring for them, even though sometimes they don't want to be cared for in that exactly. way. Like, I don't want to clean out my scratch on my <laughs> knee. That really hurts, <laughs> but that's actually caring. And if we don't clean it out, it's, it's actually not practicing care. So, but I think sometimes it's hard to turn that around on ourselves and we have so many competing demands. Mm-hmm. Also busy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is really a challenge where, you know, we have so many things pulling for our attention and they all seem urgent and like they need to be done right now. And so it can be very easy to put your own self-care on the back burner because you're constantly putting out fires from work, from your home life or maybe from your social life. So it is definitely a challenge to find that balance and really um, take that time away for yourself. How did you come to this work personally for you? Yeah, so it was really from a place of knowing that, you know, as a therapist, we always will, you know, tell our clients things that they need to do for themselves. But then finding that I was kind of slacking in certain areas of my life as far as taking better care of myself. And so I made it a a, um, a goal for myself to to really prioritize my self-care and not to put it on the back burner because I was on the urge of being burnt out and just like really um, feeling like something was missing from my life. And so I went on this journey of how do I incorporate self-care in my life in a sustainable way and doing it in all these different domains of my life. And so I've just found that as I've been continuously working towards this, that it's improved my quality of life. It's improved my sleep at night. Um, It's just helped me to feel more connected and show up for myself in a different way. And so I've been really proud of that ability to continuously show up for myself and take care of myself so that I can do the things that I do for work or for family, um, but do it in a way that is... um, making sure that I am good before I'm pouring out into other people. Mm -hmm. I think that for people in the health, the helping profession, so whether it's teachers or nurses or mental health workers, it it feels so natural to, to give and want to care for people. And Mm -hmm. sometimes what I struggle with personally, and I think a lot of people in the helping profession struggle with is guilt and Um, like there'll be times when I'll be sitting in my office and I really have to go to the bathroom, but a client <laughs> will yep. be going past that 50 <laughs> minute and I'll, I'll just, okay, I'll just hold it because they're crying and I need to be there for them. Right. And, but at the same time, moments of, I could practice a little self care here, but I'm, but I'm not because mm-hmm. I feel guilty. Well, how do you, how do yeah. you address that with yourself or with, or with clients? Yeah. I mean, I, would just say like in that situation that you gave of needing to use the restroom I would think to just be authentic and just say um you know I really want to be with you right now as you're you know expressing this and I'm noticing that we're coming to the end of our time and I really um have to you know get prepared for the next session so I'm wondering if we could take a moment to um, wrap up and make sure that we come back to this at the next session. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think I, I love that you gave that example too, because I was recently telling someone I am teaching the semester and Tuesdays are just back to back teaching and office hours. And I was telling somebody this semester, Tuesdays, my self care might just look like going to the restroom, like yeah. giving myself permission to leave my office or and just go to the restroom that'll be my self-care because I can't fit else into that and I think um, it's important too for people to realize that that is okay that your self-care may look different on different days depending on what demands you have on you and as long as you're doing something small it's not insignificant just because it's small Mm -hmm. it's really linked to that listening in the sort of two Mm -hmm. eyes eyes in and, and checking in what what our body needs what our soul needs 
um, it, it was funny because I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about self-care and she said, yeah, it's like acupuncture, you know, my acupuncture appointments. And of course my mind went to, oh yeah, I used to do acupuncture. I should be doing acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And she said, she said, you know, I just stopped doing acupuncture <laughs> because it was so much work having, I felt like I had to go there twice a week and it was, yep. and so actually for her self-care was stopping mm-hmm. something like that. And it's, it's, it's not like a cookie cutter. No. Thing. Yeah. That's what, that's what I love about it is that you can personalize it to your own needs and in different stages or seasons in your life, you're going to need different things. And it's important to um, be aware of that and be willing to make those modifications. And a huge piece that I talk about in the book is also being able to say no, which is similar to what you're talking about with your friend who had to, um, you know, stop going to acupuncture. So sometimes the most self-compassionate thing we can do for ourselves is to let go of um, certain things, certain habits or certain appointments or what have you that are really kind of causing us stress and getting in the way of us um, feeling whole in our lives. You talk about six different domains of self-care in the book, which I really appreciated because you tap into some that you don't really always think of as being self-care. Mm-hmm. So like the domain of intellectual self-care, uh, the six it's, domains, yeah. you intellectual self-care, spiritual, emotional, social, vocational, and physical. And maybe we could just walk through some of those domains that you talk about in the book and some of the strategies that you suggest. Sure. If we start with social, that's actually uh, kind of an interesting one that as social creatures, part of our self-care is is connecting. How how does it, what does it look like to practice social self-care? I think it really is about not isolating yourself when we um, are struggling in life. I think a lot of times our impulse can be to pull back from um, family or friends or social connections. And that's really the time that we need um, more support. And so social self-care looks like nurturing the relationships that you have in your life, um, maybe even reviving some relationships, and then also potentially letting go of toxic relationships relationships that are kind of taking something away from you and not adding as far as quality to your life. And so that's really what social self-care is about is deepening those connections that you already have, or perhaps developing some new connections um, and then being willing to let go of any relationships that are no longer serving you. One of the challenges that I see with my clients, especially clients that are more in the like mid 30, 40 range is that they long for maybe more social connection, but it's harder to do when you're out of school or you're out of these structured environments that set them up for you, especially if you work independently. Yeah. How do you help people with that? Yeah. So some things I talk about in the book are like kind of being willing to go out and and find those things and being open to um, creatively thinking about how can I create new social connections. So one that I talk about is meetup groups and perhaps getting um, on a meetup, um, just showing up for a group that has a common interest that you're interested in, or perhaps um, you know, saying yes to invitations. If colleagues happen to be going out, say you work in an office and they talk about going to happy hour or doing other things, perhaps um, going to those and being open or um, going to places like um, 
restaurants and or going to museums, things that you're interested in. And perhaps you might run into someone who has a shared interest that you have and then being open to kind of spark that conversation. Um, I think are some ways, but definitely getting creative. Like I know there's tons of Facebook groups that, you know, have shared interest around something specific and thinking about how might you be able to um, reach out and and connect with people in that way. Because I think in-person connections are super important, but social media connections can also be um, very much um, life-giving and nourishing. If, if they're consistent and if you feel like you're really um, being able to be vulnerable with that person. So um, being very thoughtful and just creative about how you go about finding those social connections. And I think that's where some of the ACT skills can be helpful because mm-hmm. for a lot of us, that may be something that we want to do or that's aligned with, okay, that's how I want to grow my, my social connection, but it's pretty scary to go to a group. And there's a lot of, I think, social anxiety or worry about what people think. And I think that's where ACT can be. And I know that you're um, an experienced ACT therapist Mm -hmm. as well. And is that something that you use with folks when you talk about some of this committed action towards building social Definitely. I talk about, you know, taking the anxiety right along there with you as you're moving in the direction of your values and engaging in that committed action, because it really is um, hard. And I I think it's important to acknowledge that how difficult it is. And it's it's not just easy to make friends, particularly when you get 30 year range and and beyond, uh, because there's other demands that you have. And so really thinking about, okay, how can I make this happen in my life in a way where I'm not just waiting for my anxiety to subside before I decide to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I've talked to clients about maybe um, getting an accountability person to do things with you. Um, So um, if you're wanting to go to a meetup group, maybe they could go with you the first first time a friend that you have um, yeah. to kind of ease the the transition and make it not be so awkward the first time that you go to something like that. Yeah. There's, there's things that maybe are a little bit outside of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I think this relates to play. Yeah. There's this, um, there's this new group in Santa Barbara called Yoga Dance Magic, where people meet up at the beach and they put on headphones and they do yoga and then they end the, the class in like a big dance party. Oh, that and sounds it, amazing. It sounds amazing. <laughs> and I, it sounds like I, I, it's something that I was thinking, okay, that's really outside of my comfort zone, but it could be really fun. <laughs> and the only way I could do it is if I could rope somebody in to go with yep. me, you yep. know, and then yep. if we do it together then it feels, it just feels more doable. Yeah. Right? That's, I guess that's a, would be a self-care move in, mm-hmm. in a couple of different domains in the mm-hmm. domain of, um, you know, physical as well as, you know, play and, and social. Yeah. And I think that's so important is doing what works for you. Cause I think sometimes clients that I work with have gotten caught up in, well, I should just be able to do it by myself and what's wrong with me. Cause I won't just go by myself. And it's like, no, do set the parameters up in the context up so that it will support you in doing what you need to do for your self care. And don't um, judge yourself harshly for needing that accountability or needing that support. You're doing something that's hard and that's new and um, it shouldn't be easy for you. So it's, it's understand, it's understandable that you're having a tough time and just be willing to do whatever you need to do to help you prioritize that level of self-care. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about vocational self-care. Cause you write yeah. in the book that 
51% of Americans who work full-time are not engaged at work. Mm-hmm. So a big portion of us are feeling kind of blah about yep. our job and we spend so much time there. How do you work with people in getting practicing self-care in this domain? Yeah, one of the uh, huge things that I talk about is um, blooming where you're planted. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So really trying to find, because I think a lot of times people are, in some way not satisfied with the job that they have or don't feel fulfilled by it or it's just not their ideal career. And so really thinking about how can you um, make the most out of this opportunity that you have, um, even if it's not an ideal employment situation for you. Um, so maybe thinking about how can you um, utilize the skills that you're developing to help build another area in your life. So if you're someone who's doing a lot of marketing and um, and advertising in your job, how can you take that on to do advertising and marketing in an area or arena that you really care a lot about? And so looking at this job that you have as a, a mechanism for getting you to the next level that you want to be able to get to in your life. Um, so using that skill set to to develop that in the job that you have now and looking forward to how can this skill set that I'm building in this job kind of propel me forward to maybe getting into my dream career. And then I can use those skills and generalize them that I learned on that previous job to my dream career. So basically helping people to see um, the silver lining, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> would be the summary in, in the in the job that they currently have and, um, and being willing to, um, kind of think creatively about how to, um, use that time wisely while you're in a situation that you can't necessarily change. Yeah. It makes me think of sort of the proliferation of side hustles right now where people have, (laughs) have their job, but then they're doing this thing that sometimes is podcast is a side hustle, but what, what I've noticed in doing the side hustle is it actually energizes my work exactly. and, and kind of feedback on, onto each other. So sometimes I'll work with clients around that and think about, you know, maybe someone that works in HR that also really loves yoga. How could she start up a, you know, teaching a yoga class mm-hmm. at lunch or, you know, mm-hmm. that, and then you start to, then that could potentially turn into your next career, but it also just may enhance the career that you're in exactly. and you don't necessarily leave it. Like getting more creative and um, and pursuing the things that bring you joy at at work. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that's so important because a lot of times people just feel kind of trapped because we know that we need the job for the financial security. We have to pay bills, uh, mm-hmm. but you just kind of feel like you can't see the other side of that um, life. So yeah, definitely you're getting creative about how can I make this job kind of work for me. So what about physical self-care? Because I actually think that's one that most people think about when they think about self-care is caring for their physical Mm -hmm. bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is also where you talk a bit about play and listening in. Share a little bit about how inner awareness is is involved in in, um, facilitating this physical self-care. Yeah, I think a lot of times I, as a mindfulness teacher, I talk about this a lot, how we um, are so adaptable as humans and can go into autopilot on almost anything that we do habitually. So, you know, going to work or driving or um, 
all these habits that we develop where we can just do it on autopilot and not really be aware of what's really happening in the here and now. And I think that happens with our physical bodies that we can just kind of push them to the brink and be in some ways disconnected from what's happening in our bodies because we can train ourselves to just continue to move forward uh, when we're, when we maybe need rest. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book is, is sleep and being able to get enough sleep and how that is so important and integral to you being able to uh, function on your job or in your family life with all the responsibilities that you have. And that's something that we underestimate because we um, have seen that we can kind of, you know, do all nighters and we can um, not sleep and, and we can function, but it's about how are you functioning? So if we can listen to that inner voice that's telling us, Hey, I'm exhausted and I need some sleep. And if we can be kind enough to give ourselves that, that is an act of self care, even though we may have to let some things on our to-do list stay undone for that day, um, you'll be better able to tackle that the next day if you can listen to those inner signals of exhaustion or um, or feeling tired and really kind of give your body what it needs to be able to fuel you to the next day. Yeah, I think as a parent, we've all seen that you know moment when maybe a kid gets to that point of wired and tired where you've pushed past the point of being sleepy and then you're just wired and running, they're like running around the house and it's nine o'clock. And, and I think that happens for us too. And we don't catch it early enough on in the chain of events that I'm tired right now. And this is actually the time that if I were to listen to that, I could go to sleep and wind down and fall asleep. But instead we push into that wired and tired mode and then we put ourselves to bed and we can't fall asleep. <laughs> yep. Can't fall and our asleep. mind is going. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we can't, then we have to get up super early the next morning, yeah. which also impacts our mood and just the energy level that we have throughout the next day. And so it is the cycle, but it's really about, and that's why I advocate for everyone. I'm totally a mindfulness lover and I feel like it's so important in so many ways. And I think one of the main things that it gives us is this inner attunement to ourselves to really be able to pay attention and catch those early signs and signals of what do I need and what's going on for me? Because a lot of times we um, have things happen and we're like, where did that come from? Why did I lash out in that way? Or why am I so irritable today? And it could just be as simple as like, did I eat today? Have I eaten? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or did I, you know, did I get a good night's rest last night? And sometimes it can just be those kind of basic foundational needs that we all have as humans that can help us to um, be better in our lives and to perform better. Mm-hmm. I had this this yoga teacher that taught me, I guess in Ayurveda, they do a lot of uh, foot oiling mm-hmm. and hair oiling. And, and a lot of it can be sesame oil or coconut oil that you rub into your feet and rub into your hair. And she has the most like beautiful feet. <laughs> oh. beautiful feet. And she said, you know, every night what I do is I, I oil my feet. I give myself, a, I keep oil by my bed or, you know, lotion my bed. And I give myself a foot massage and I thank my feet. And then I climb into bed. And I started wow. doing this, this little practice before bed. It takes two minutes and you keep the, you know, you keep the material by your bed. So you remember mm-hmm. to do it. And it feels so just sweet of checking in with our body before bed and saying thank you to these feet that have been, you know, walking us around all day, running us around. Yeah. And it's, I think some of those little moments are, even though um, we don't always think them are also part of 
part of self-care is that. Mm-hmm. That's definitely. Yeah. Just to have that gratitude. Yeah. That's a whole another area for self-care as far as really uh, appreciating our efforts and appreciating our bodies and what they do for us. We can be so critical sometimes of ourselves, but being able to have that gratitude for um, the things that our body does do for us and also for the things that we have right now, because I think in our society, which is very much, um, success drift always trying to get to the next level we can downplay some of the successes that we've had in life and just be always focused on what we don't have instead of appreciating the plentiful blessings that we do have in this moment so that's also something that I talk about in the book too that I think has a really nice payoff for our ability to just feel content in our lives mm-hmm. what are some of the self-care practices that you do that you've adopted over this time? Yeah, for me, it's been a practice to have meditation in the morning. So I um, have quiet time in the morning where I meditate and then I might do some reading for personal development and prayer. Um, And that really is a nice morning routine that sets me off on a nice track. And so this is uh, in contrast to what I used to do, which was, you know, pick up my cell phone first thing when I woke up and start checking email, leaving while laying in bed and start kind of planning for the day. But I find that kind of just pausing and really um, checking in with myself and really grounding and centering myself at the beginning of the day gives me um, the fuel that I need and to, to really do all the things that I have to do in a given day. So that's one that's been super important to me. Another that's been super important is... Um, meal planning, meal prepping, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, just for the week, because it's so challenging. Um, it's so tempting to just kind of get takeout when you haven't planned, um, appropriately. So for me, I really use the time on Sunday or Monday that I take to meal prep as a time where I'm really just pouring into myself and kind of giving my future self a very nice gift of not having to think about what you're going to eat this week or, um, or for lunch every day. Um, and so that really has helped me tremendously just to kind of take that off of my plate during the week by planning meals and prepping them on the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's a good example of one that may not feel good, like a you know <laughs> foot oil massage, but actually is so kind to yourself mm-hmm. because when you're running out the door, being able to just grab that container out of your fridge or yeah. you know have that yeah. plan for yourself upon returning home. Yeah, such a sweet gift. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Self, mm-hmm. for doing that for me. I know, for and that's planning. what I, I say to myself in the middle of the week when I have one. I'm like, yeah. shout out to my past self who yeah. thought about this and who gave me this gift because I really appreciate it. And you're right, it's not always fun. Like, this not the activity that I would, you know, say I want to be spending my precious weekend doing, but it has the payoff for me in the rest of the week. So it, it is well worthwhile. To, mm-hmm. to take that those few hours. You also talk about emotional self-care in, in your book. And I know that you're a, a trauma specialist and I'm, I'm wondering how, how that would look, especially for people that have experienced trauma in their lives, practicing emotional self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the 
ways to practice emotional self-care that I, you know, preach to my clients day in and day out is validation of your emotions. Because so many times trauma survivors have gotten the message, whether it was while growing up or during the traumatic event, or even after the traumatic event, that their emotions are somehow um, invalid or that they are, you know, doing too much or they're um, too expressive. And I just like to really teach people how they can give their self, give themselves the validation that they need for their emotions that given what they've experienced, their emotional response makes sense. And it's, um, and it's very much valid given their background and what they've experienced and teaching them how they can acknowledge those emotions and actually make room for those emotions because our emotions do come to um, teach us something or to alert us to something that needs attention in our lives. And so um, being willing to uh, be present with those emotions and allow them to do the work that they need to do through us and with us um, is, I think, a really nice gift that you can give yourself just validating your own emotion and not you know, shooting on yourself about having an emotion or, or saying that, you know, I just need to um, white knuckle it and get through this and not feel anything, um, I think is ultimately does more harm than good. So I like to teach people how to, you know, be with their emotions skillfully and really to acknowledge their emotional experience. And I think when you make space for your emotional experience, it takes you off the hook of trying to make it different or or get rid of it or just try to numb out. I had a supervisor early on when I worked at a treatment center and she was, uh, her background was psychodynamic and psychodrama. And she taught this, this really simple skill that I still use with myself when I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed. And it's uh, either verbally with a partner or a writing exercise where you just go down the list and you start with, what am I mad about? And you just spew, what am I mad about? What else am I mad about? And your partner just says, and what else are you mad about? And what else are you mad about? And it's called emptying the jug until Mm -hmm. that's done. Like until you have every single mad, until you're like, and I'm mad there's ants in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Totally at the end of it all, right? And then you go to, what are you sad about? And you empty the jug that there. And then then what are you you scared about? Mm -hmm. And then finally, what are you glad about? Mm-hmm. And it, it has zero problem solving in it. <laughs> and there's, I don't know, yeah. I don't know if it's CBT or what, but for me, it's just really powerful as you're talking about to just go in and let yourself feel all this. When most of us have yeah. something we're mad about right now, something we're scared about, something we're sad about, and a lot of things we're glad about and getting that full range, that beautiful full range of emotional experience. And instead of just, you know, a lot of times we compartmentalize it or, you know, shove it away in a corner somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important to allow ourselves to feel those emotions. And then I guess a piggyback on that, once we validate our emotions and make space for them, learning how to give ourselves self-compassion. So I recently went to um, a mindful self-compassion, um, group experience. And that was just amazing. Kind of think about giving yourself compassion when you're suffering emotionally. So when you're feeling emotions that are hard to feel, how can you nurture yourself and remind yourself that you are not alone in experience? 
suffering and really give yourself what you need in the, in the face of suffering. And I love mindful self-compassion because the goal of giving yourself compassion when you're experiencing those tough emotions is not to change the emotion or make it go away. Mm-hmm. The goal is just giving yourself um, nourishment and being kind and being gentle with yourself just because you're a human being who deserves um, to, to be nourished and to be um and to be catered to when you're experiencing suffering. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that practice because there's there's no end game that you're trying to get to. And so you don't end up feeling like you missed something or that you did it wrong because really self-compassion is just all about giving yourself that love, that nurturance when you are experiencing tough emotions or perhaps when you make a mistake or fall short of some expectation that you have for yourself. Yeah. Another uh, expertise you have is in the area of self-care in communities of color. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. what are some of the strategies and approaches you use for communities of color in practicing self-care as well as changing sort of the narrative around um, self-care and mental health? Yeah, I think one of the big things around with regard to changing the narrative of of self care and mental health is this idea that it's not selfish to um, to take care of yourself and to be. Um, in tune with what you need. I think a lot of times, particularly um, with African-American women who I work with a lot, there's this kind of superwoman complex and we feel compelled that we have to be all things to everyone and we can't take time for ourselves because if we do, then that means that we're falling short on our commitment, or our responsibility responsibility to the other people in our lives. And so I like to really talk about is how to find sustainable ways to take care of yourself and to really change the narrative. Because a lot of times that superwoman complex is generational in families where grandmother did this and mother did that. And now I'm just kind of taking the torch and now I'm doing this thing for myself and, 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 and taking on this kind of uh, superwoman role that, that needs to take care of everybody else but myself. So I like to have those conversations around what will this mean for your children if they, if your daughter kind of takes on this role and continues to um, go down this path of just not taking care of themselves and we can draw conclusions about, you know, how that ends up impacting us physically and psychologically and emotionally. And so helping them to find little pockets throughout the day where they can take time for themselves, because it really is a challenge to incorporate self-care into a busy schedule. Some people are literally running from the moment that they get out of bed until they come home at night and go back to Mm -hmm. sleep. And so it's about finding small um, pockets of opportunity, whether it's just even a one minute breathing practice or um, whether it's just going for a walk on your lunch break, finding something that can help to support you in the midst of all of the, the things that are on your plate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the busyness factor I think is, a big one because when we're busy, we don't, it's harder to pause and look at the direction we're going in. I think it was um, Stephen Covey talks about before you start climbing a ladder, you got to look at what wall it's against. Oh, and like we get so busy. We just are climbing and then we don't yep. realize we're going really fast in the wrong direction. Yep. And that, that I think self, the practice of self-care is, is like giving yourself the space to pause and look at what, what wall is my ladder against? Is this where Mm -hmm. I want it to be? And, and then, and then climb as opposed to just the going, going, going. And there's something that's so reinforced about 
being busy and going fast, that it, it's, it's also going against the current there that it's okay to take a moment to decide for yourself. Yeah, exactly. I'm reading a book now and they, the author talks about, you know, busyness has become a sign of social status where people yeah. think, well, you must be important because you're so busy. And a lot of people are kind of going after being busy because they want to feel important and they want to show that they, you know, um, are in high demand, but how that works against us in so many ways when we don't have that time just to really know who we are anymore. We're spending our lives on automatic pilot and not really checking in to see like, what goals am I um, chasing after? And are these really in alignment with what I value and what's really important to me? Or have I somehow kind of gotten confused and and internalized someone else's value system that doesn't really fit for me? That busyness is a sign of social status. And I think closely linked to that of a sign of value now is uh, is how many connections you have. So yeah. how many people are you connected to on Facebook or Instagram? Mm-hmm. And that, that gives you, actually, it's, it's kind of um, a currency mm-hmm. of whether or not you're going to get your book published or your yeah. workshop accepted. And I think it contributes to, again, that feeling of I need to go out and get more and more and more mm-hmm. without actually looking at, is this actually helpful to me in feeling satisfied in my life. If I'm so busy trying to get more connections, what am I missing out that's, you know, on my plate right now? Mm -hmm. So if you were to give some advice to therapists around self-care, what advice would you give therapists? Because I know you've you've traveled this path yourself. Yes. Um, I would say um, for therapists, it's really important that we practice what we preach. (laughs) Because I know all therapists are telling their clients to take good care of themselves and to find balance between work and home life. Um, But I think, again, you mentioned this earlier, when we are drawn to helping professions and serving others, um, it can just be a natural um, tendency for us to put ourselves on the back burner. So I would say for therapists, just really about thinking about um, how you can create margin in your life and, and taking time off. I think one piece that's been really freeing for me is this idea of it's okay to not work 24 <laughs> seven. It's okay to, you know, maybe have a day that you don't check your email um, and the email will be there waiting for you when you get back, but the, you know, your life won't be over. <laughs> so yeah. I think taking time to take breaks is super important. And I also think particularly if you're a therapist who's working with um, a challenging population or a population that could potentially lead to um, burnout or lead to compassion fatigue is super important to think about creative ways where you can um, kind of stagger your your clients, if you will, so that you don't have five trauma survivors in a row in a given day, um, or think about ways that um, you can create those little pockets of breaks for you throughout the day. So maybe setting up your schedule to where you're not scheduling someone during the lunch hour and you're really taking that time to eat and, and really pouring into yourself and, and 
as we talk to clients about getting to know yourself, knowing what hobbies you might like or what type of music you enjoy listening to and making that a part of your daily routine. But I think for therapists, the main thing is making sure that we protect ourselves against burnout and compassion fatigue by pouring back into ourselves, creating margin in our lives um, and being willing to um, make tough decisions when when necessary, like one of those can be um, dropping your caseload down to something that's more manageable for you or not, you know, taking on that extra client, even though, you know, you would appreciate it financially, but kind of thinking about what um, costs, costs it may have for you um, in your own mental health yeah. if you continue on. I have a group of psychologists that are good friends and, and one of them in particular, I'll, I'll, contact her and say, you're going to be so proud of me. I reduced my, my number of clients again this week, you know, cause I'm trying to, I'm always trying to get it down into like this manageable range that allows for some breathing space. Like, you yep. know, mm-hmm. and Yael, who's our, one of our co-hosts, she's pra- trying to practice the Sabbath and it, watching her do that. And times that I, we've forgotten and we're like trying to pull her in to work on something. And she's like, I'm really trying to not be on technology mm-hmm. on this day has mm-hmm. been inspiring and encouraging for, yep. for me. And so I think that's the other thing is that when we practice self-care for ourselves, it's a gift to the people around us. Yes, And it's, it's giving that message of I'm doing it and I, it's okay for you to do it too. Mm-hmm. When we're practicing over busy, you know, cramming it all in, it actually can harm other people because other people feel that that's the expectation that you have of them too. So whether we're employers or we're supervisors or we're colleagues encouraging each other in this practice by, by doing it for ourselves. Yeah. You give other people permission to take care of themselves when you take care of yourself. Cause we're always kind of um, teaching other people, even when we're not speaking just by living our lives, people are watching. And that's why I mentioned that practice, which you preach to your clients because they also pick up on um, how we're behaving and what we're doing and how we're living our lives. And um, that can be a nice way to model for them what it looks like to take care of yourself. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gobin. We will link to your beautiful book. It's compact and (laughs) it's compact and jam packed. (laughs) So I I really uh, enjoyed it. And we'll link to that on our website as well as ways to connect with you. And just really, it's been a delight to have you on and thank you for sharing your wisdom around self-care. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated our conversation and um, wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com.